1: Folks, we are here for a second round with my guest, Jane, which is a pseudonym. Jane is a defector from the dark side. She was chosen to be a mother of darkness within the Illuminati hierarchy, replacing her grandmother but she chose jesus she joined us just the other week to talk about the structure of the illuminati from an insider's perspective and she is back with me today to continue her story jane welcome back to discovering truth with dan deval
2: thank you daniel
1: Well, it's really good to have you back. Man, oh man, did you drop some bombs the last time we sat down and talked. You really broke down a whole lot of components of the structure of the Illuminati, the way they organize in order to manipulate things in the United States and around the world. And you touched on Being trained to be a mother of darkness. Now today, we're going to go deeper into your story and your testimony and the reality of what it's like to grow up under these circumstances. Um, You suggested that your training began at age four. And so as you understand it, can you walk us through that transition, what was it like going from, you know, being two and three and and, and four and then into this season where suddenly now your grandmother has control over every aspect of your life?
2: Yeah. um, At at first, you know, it it kind of catches you by surprise and you're not prepared for it. Um, At least I wasn't. And um I had gone from you know living with my father's grand or mother, um, so my other grandmother who was a very safe person, and you know, going to then live with my other grandmother. and um, you know the the cover life was something that that the family lived very well. And from the outside looking in, you know you would have just seen that my grandmother was this sweet old you know catholic woman and again no offense to anybody who's catholic but that was their cover and uh yeah so my grandmother was portrayed as someone in her cover life who you know was a very devout catholic woman and um attended mass regularly every day Um, She was seen as a homemaker who took care of the kids and the grandkids and, you know, cooked dinners and cleaned the house and things like that. Um, So anybody looking in from the outside, that's what they saw. And uh, both my parents and my grandfather worked every day and were out of the house. So pretty much uh, me and my uh, two siblings were left with just her alone all day long, and um, probably the first, the very first taste of of this life with her um, was that um, you know my parents had left for work, and next thing I know, you know she's telling me that we're we're going on a trip. And my grandfather's brother owns an airport, um, which it's a set of private airports. Mm-hmm. So they have all sorts of jets, airplanes, and can fly, you know, wherever. And um, so we get on this airplane and I, as a child, I had a lot of ear issues. So flying was not the best thing for me Um but, you know, we got on and we flew somewhere and I had no idea where we were going. And, um, and I remember walking into, you know, this, um, we were in this castle and, and I'll just bring up this was the, the real Mother of Darkness castle. Mm-hmm. And um, we walk into this uh, room. There's these huge doors that are really thick wood and there's a lot of engraving on them. And so we walked through these doors and, and I remember seeing these um, five women sitting on thrones. And you know one of them was more, I'll just say more prominent than the other four. And they were dressed in their black robes at that time. And um, she had this huge headpiece on, um, that was black and, and kind of looked like lots of sharp, pointy things, the main uh, woman who was on the front throne. And I remember, you know, my, my grandmother looked at me and just said, You know, now you will see what I am doing for you. And I was, I mean, I was shot, I was like, okay. <laughs> You know I had no clue, and she just told me to you know be quiet and watch and, and somebody from the side came over and presented um, these cases that were really long with they were made out of wood, and when they opened them there was kind of red velvet inside, and they opened two of these, and so there were these two. They were kind of like swords, but not the sharp tip at the end. They had more of like a curved, um, I don't even know what to call it, but the the end was more curved, almost like a bottle cap opener. And um, so anyway, my grandmother took these out. And then I watched as she walked up to this woman on the main throne And literally beheaded her. And then I'll save all the graphics and just simply say that there was cannibalism involved. And after that, um, she, you know, put the crown on her head. And she came over and kneeled down and took me by my shoulders. And, you know she she said to me you know you you will be my successor and then she she actually put her bloody hand on my face and and that I remember made me very angry um and she just said to me you know you you will obey you will learn you will take my place someday and you know uh, the whole thing was that I also would, when I took my place, supposedly, that it would be in the same way she had just shown me how it would happen. Wow um, And so that was the first, you know, my first experience in this world um, of the occult, and you know, it just stimulated a lot of intense anger in me and i didn't even know how to process or i mean there's just no words to even begin to describe you know what happened but that was how she you know later i found out that that's how the successors take their position among the mothers is that a mother can only die if she is beheaded by her successor and the next one can only step up when they have a successor so yeah okay
1: now i want to ask this question you said that your grandmother took you to this place once your parents were out now you told us in the last interview that the mothers of darkness castle in belgium on the border of france and belgium is not the mothers of darkness castle that you had experiences with or at least not the main mothers of darkness castle that a lot of their rituals are actually happening um, are you suggesting that this castle is actually within the borders of the U.S. since your grandmother took you there?
2: Uh, no, it, it actually is in Germany.
1: Oh, so you were in Germany at the time? Yes. Oh, wow. But
2: it's a different one than the normal one that is presented as the real Mother of Darkness castle.
1: Okay. Now, um, my goodness, my goodness, my goodness. All right, so you got to witness this horrible act. And, and, and by the way, you know, I, I've certainly been exposed to this concept before that uh, in order to have your successor step up, there has to be a ritual killing, often yeah. followed by cannibalism. Can you explain what the occult belief is behind this practice?
2: Yeah. um, They believe that if they're, they're taking that person's life upon their death, that they inherit all of their powers along with all of their demonic spirits. So in the spiritual world, what immediately happened Um, in that situation is that all of the demons that were with that um, original Queen Mother of Darkness now became loyal to serving only my grandmother. Um, Mm.
1: Do you think that they have been successful in making uh, these high-ranking offices more powerful in each successive generation?
2: That's a good question. Um, I do not. Um, I think that's their ideal of what they would like, Um, but currently what I see happening is that the mothers in the hierarchy are all losing their their power in battle um you know i know revelations talks about that we'll see the antichrist rise and i i really see things going in that direction that the whole illuminati structure is changing from something that was more of a matriarchal s- structure to now being a paternal structure. Um, so there's almost like a shift in power from the women run, running it to these men in high places, you know, preparing the way for the Antichrist. Um, and that, that was understood, um, even when I was a child, that was taught that, you know, the mothers, one of their jobs was to ensure, actually, I'll be more specific, not their jobs, my job was to ensure the rise of the antichrist um so that was something that you know i was prepared and taught and told over and over again um how that would happen um and Mm. how to you know get people ready for that um and to do the rituals for that
1: Well, we're going to have to talk about that at some point, Jane. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if now is the time or if you want to continue walking us through.
2: Yeah, let's continue the walkthrough. We'll save that for another day.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Cliffhanger. Okay, so this ritual happens and then you have to go home. What's going through your head?
2: Well, you know, I, I was just, I think I was in utter shock and, um, I just remember a lot of pain with my ears. And so we get home and, you know, before my parents even arrive home from work. And one of the first weird things is that, you know, my grandmother and I were just gone all day and yet there's food already ready in the fridge. And, you know, she gets everything out and gets the table all set and then the family all comes home and she makes it look like she cooked this fantastic dinner and um you know has been home all day with us and you know there at first there was just glares um you know i think she knew you know there's just so much shock that there wasn't going to be any direct disobedience the first couple times um so i just you know, it was just an unspoken glare that, you know, don't you dare say a word about what happened. And, you know, when my parents would ask, oh, well, you know, how was school today? Because I was supposed to be at school. And my grandmother was just like, oh, you know, the teacher told me she had a wonderful time in class and um, she was very well behaved. And, and I'm just sitting there like, okay, like, <laughs> oh So um, that was kind of, you know, you very quickly pick up on, okay, well, we're not going to tell what really happened. And, you know, whatever grandma says, I just agree with, you know, and, and, you know, there was this fear because I just watched her kill this woman and, you know, basically eat her. So, of course, you know, it's like, uh, is she planning to do that to me and my family? Like, you know, I had no idea what to expect, you know. And um, I still, you know, I was a curious child. So still in the back of my mind, probably, it was probably my way of coping with just the graphic horror of everything that the main focus on my mind was, how did all this food get in the fridge? Like she didn't make it the night before, <laughs> you know? And, and I just kept thinking about the food and how it got there. And, and I couldn't explain that away, you know? And um, it, yeah, so it went to there. And then, you know, I, it was interesting because that night then, um, you know, I, I quickly learned that she would put drugs in the food. And so about 6, 630, you know, my mom and dad would be getting so tired. They'd be like, oh, you know, we got to go lay down. And and they would be out for the count for the entire night. And the same thing with my siblings. And that was then when, you know, I had daytime training that went all day long. And then there was nighttime training that went on just between me and my grandmother. and. I'll add, if, if you're looking at the spiritual world as well, that training a lot of times also included um, Satan and Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech and uh, Chemish and Azazel. Um, those were the main ones, uh, the spirits that would appear and, um, and would be in conversation with her about different things so a lot of my nighttime training was was learning to you know hear these spirits hear what they were saying and we would be sitting in the upstairs hallway of the house and um like it kind of there was an area that opened up and then all the bedrooms were off of that um you know it was kind of like a square area that wasn't super big but um And we would sit cross-legged, facing each other, um, in that hallway area. And uh, you know, and and she would ask, you know, can you hear what they're saying? And and then she would say, you know, repeat back to me what you hear. And so I would start repeating back, you know, what I heard. And sometimes she'd say, well, is there more? And and so I'd repeat back. Well, then it got where you know, like I said, I was feisty and an ornery child. So I I would get mad about a lot of the stuff going on. And one of the ways that I could pay back or get vengeance was to, um, you know, do what I wasn't supposed to do. Hmm. And so, you know, when we would sit down you know before she would even ask i would start telling her word for word everything all the spirits were saying mm-hmm. and uh she would get mad because there were things that you know satan or the other spirits were trying to say to her in private but i could hear it all <laughs> so so it wasn't working out well for her and it got to the point where I don't know if you'd call it a love-hate relationship. I mean, really, it was a hate-hate relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she was very determined to to kill me no matter what. And she would have these arguments with Satan right in front of me, and you know, be be arguing and saying, you know, I'm gonna kill her, and. And, you know, I'm just sitting there listening and, um,
0: Goodness.
2: and I remember one time, um, you know, she, she literally stood up and, you know, was defiant. It probably, was, it, I think it was the only time I ever saw her actually be directly defiant to Satan. Um, but she stood up and said, no, I will kill her. And he literally pinned her up you know, grabbed her by the throat and pinned her up against the wall. And he said, no, you will obey me. And, you know, how dare you, you even dishonor me in such a way. And he did finally drop her to the ground. um, And I got probably the most evil glare I've ever gotten. Now, in spite of that, she did attempt this was probably trying to think probably before you
1: before you tell us that i just want to ask this one point of clarification when you and her were crossing your legs and she was asking you these Mm -hmm. things were these entities satan mola kamesh these guys in the spirit world and you were just? hearing them they or were they actually at times pulling themselves into physical bodies in your midst?
2: I I did see them, yes, they did they did go in and out of her. Um because I had the Lord, I never dealt with them, you know, being inside of me, but I, you know, it was like I could hear and see them outside of me. Um, but there were times that they did speak through her or act through her. Um, other times it was, it was literally like a conference where, you know, they would be around us having this conversation with the two of us. And, um, I don't know, does that explain that a little better?
1: And so for the third party onlooker when your grandmother defied satan and he pinned her to the wall would that third party just see her body suddenly float off the ground
2: i and- i'm pretty sure it would have looked like she all of a sudden was levitated and stuck against the wall
1: okay um, wow
2: for okay. me i could see satan um i could see you know the physical form of him you know lifting her up holding her against the wall with his arm um but i don't you know there were other times in my life where i could see the spirits but knew that other kids who were with me or other individuals could not mm-hmm. and so you know sometimes they would freak out and and be like oh my gosh you know she that person is levitating or um, how did that person get here so quick or, you know, things like that. Um, So there were other times I knew people were not able to see those spirits at all. Um, You know, if my parents came out, they probably would have just seen her against the wall and seen me sitting on the floor and and probably thought I was, you know, a possessed child or something, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I probably shouldn't laugh about it, but I do, you know, there is a funny component thinking about how it must have really looked to people who, who couldn't see what really was going on. Um,
1: Thank you for explaining that. Okay. So back to where you were, sometimes you would go to bed, which I assume would be very early in the morning at this point after your training. And you were saying.
2: Yeah. So um, usually our nighttime training went until about two or three in the morning. And then there would be a two or three hour um, gap or rest where that was the only time, you know, I did get sleep if I got any at all. And, um, you know, it, it was pretty horrific there. You know, um, starting at that young age, I I can't even remember the first time I found something strange in my bed, but um, I used to have to check my bed for needles or um, knives, scissors, weapons. Um, you know, I would find things in the strangest places and the needles or sharp things were most concerning because A lot of times they did have poison or drugs on them. And so, you know, I'd have to run my hand across my mattress and, you know, be slowly feeling for anything that could be there. Um, And then I also, I mean, I did other safeguards as well in my room. We had um, these old rug runners that were plastic ones in the hallway. In front of all of the doors. And if you turned them over, they had these sharp, pokey things on them. And so, bef- you know, after my grandmother was in her room, um, I would pretend like I had to use the bathroom. And in that time, I would go and I would turn all of those runners over because she had very sensitive feet. And at least gave me a chance that, you know, if she was coming into my room at night that I would hear her, you know, kind of make a yelp or a sound when she pricked her feet. Um, A lot of times she would uh drink at that point a little, you know, I don't know how much, but she would drink. So once she was asleep, she, she usually was asleep. Um, but just in case i had things prepared and then i would even um tie my like shoelaces together and i would hang them on my across my doorknob and that way if the door started wiggling the shoes would you know as the door would open the shoes would kind of thump against the the door and make noise um after my grandmother figured out I was doing that, she started making me leave my door cracked open. And so what I did instead then was I would put shoes or like if I kind of did, you know, books like in a TP type form, I could balance them between the the top of the door and the door frame where she couldn't see that there was something up there. And so if she she opened the door further, the book would fall and make a noise. And so um, those were safeguards that I tried to put up in case she came into the room at night. Um, You know, I just, there was no trust at all. Um, Go ahead. I'm almost afraid to ask, but
1: after training during the day and then training during the night, what would your grandmother come in your room for during the two or three hours you could actually be sleeping?
2: Um, If she came in, it it was to attempt to kill me. Um, You know, I, I woke up one time with her over me with a pair of scissors um, and literally just rolled out of the way as as the scissors plunged into my mattress. um, You know, there was another time um, she actually did. I, there had been a needle in the bed with, with a drug on it and it, the drug almost paralyzed me. So I was kind of, you know, like it was just kicking in. So I still was able to move a little bit, but I didn't have, Full function in order to fight. And she all of a sudden came in and grabbed me and literally hauled me over her shoulder um, like a sack of potatoes. And so, um, so after she threw me over her shoulders like a sack of potatoes, um, you know, she took me into the bathroom and she literally like slammed me down into the bathtub and it was so hard that when my back hit the bottom of the tub it knocked knocked the breath out of me so i found myself in this panic position because i couldn't get any air at, you know first i was underwater but then you know and i was drugged so i couldn't exactly you know even pull myself up all the way and um i was trying to and then um i couldn't you know because the breath was knocked out of me i i couldn't get any air and i i did get myself up for a moment like i pulled myself up but then all of a sudden her hands were on my chest and she she literally you know pushed me down under the water and was holding me under there and um I haven't shared the full extent of this part of the story yet, but I had my training partner used to sneak into my room at night. And um, I'll just put out there, there was nothing ever sexual or bad between us. But um, a lot of times, like, you know, we would comfort each other and cry during those three hours together. So that night I was thankful he was there and he actually went and got his grandfather who also was a high Illuminati member. Um, and so next thing I remember is, you know, is I remember like his, his grandfather literally sitting me up like on the bathroom floor and he was just pounding on the back of my chest and, my training partner was saying, breathe, just breathe, breathe. (laughs) And, and, um, you know, and and then I remember hearing his grandfather saying to my grandmother, you know, you've gone too far. And um, I know that there was something, his grandfather got up at that point, and there was something he did that knocked my grandmother out for the entire night. Like he pretty much put her to bed. And she woke up the next day, it was as if nothing ever happened. She had no memories of it at all. Um, That night, my training partner, you know, slept with me in bed. And I kept waking up, like, you know, with the, uh, you know, just the horrific shock, um, feeling like I couldn't breathe. And then other times I'd wake up and, and I was ready to just go kill my grandmother. And he would just, you know, he'd put his hand on my ears and, and he would quiet me and he would say, "Shh, just, just lay still, you know, just be still. And um, for a couple of weeks, he did that and kept talking to me because I was plotting and making plans. Um, you know, I was that mad against my grandmother and, and he kept saying, you can't, you can't do it. Um, don't promise me you know you won't do it. and um so that was one of the probably the the worst time um, you know, but um other times, you know, if we went more towards the daytime, you know, when we were at home, she would um, have my younger siblings who were only like um, you know three and one at that time. Mm -hmm. and um she you know like she would send me down into the basement which there were two levels first you had the main basement and then you had the cellar and of course she put all of the canned foods all of the you know soda pop and all of that in the cellar so you had to walk through the entire basement to get to the cellar and I knew, I mean, after the first time she did it, locked me down there, I knew every time she sent me down there that I was going to be locked down there for, you know, a couple hours. And sometimes it went all day long. But what she would do is they were trying to um, desensitize me to death. And, you know, they, they want, the things that happen to you to become a normal reality so that you don't question, you don't fight against it. Um, you learn to accept it and and kind of join in and participate. So that's, that's their goal of all of this training. Um, but I'd go down in this basement and all of a sudden all of the lights would go off. It would be pitch dark and You know, I would find myself in this room with, you know, there would be dead animals hanging, you know, like if as I walked through or as I tried to find my way back to the staircase, you know, I'd I'd find these things that felt like animals hanging from the ceiling or sometimes people. Um, I'd find dead people on the ground. Um, You know, you could smell the blood um you you could hear it dripping um you know that there were times i don't even know how they even accomplished this but we had a couch down there and sometimes things would like sit up out of the couch and you know like this hand that but it was a dead hand so it wasn't like a person actively grabbing at me but it, it would be if you walked past all of a sudden this hand would be touching you um And, you know, so I would just, I would just get mad and and I would find my way back, you know, I, I mean, I had actually make it to the cellar because at that point, I was so mad that it, you know, the main thing on my heart was vengeance and, um, I knew if I got the sodas that then for the next couple hours, I could sit at the top of the stairs and roll them down the stairs multiple times. So by the time she opened that door and opened those sodas, they would spray all over the place. So um, that was one of my little paybacks. (laughs) And, And so I would sit there until she opened the door. And when she did, I would come out with the sodas and she'd have my little brother and sister sitting next to her at the table and she'd be feeding them something. But also right by her hand would be this butcher knife. And and she would ha- kind of tap it, you know, so that she knew that I I saw it, that it was right there. And she would make this comment like, you know, what if I told you about hiding from me before? Where have you been all this time? You know, I've told you not to go running off and doing your explorations. You need to let me know where you're at. And, uh, you know, she would make these big long stories and it was like, okay, that's the story. And then when my parents got home, she would even tell them that I had run off that day and been naughty and been hiding and she had to search for me. And the purpose of the knife was so that if, if I disagreed with her narrative or her story, you know, the threat was that she would kill my brother or my sister right in front of my face. Um, so, you know, there were times that she didn't care about the threat. Um, you know, she would, in German, she would start yelling at me and, and she would say, vach schnell, dunka, vach schnell, which meant And that was the little bit of warning I got before she grabbed a knife and she she was chasing me and my brothers and my sister. And, and, um, you know, I would get get us out of the house and run around the other way and lock the door. And then as she went out the front door, I would lock that door too. So she was locked out of the house until my grandfather came home and he, he always arrived home before my parents um but he knew of all this going on um
1: <laughs> so. wow so they were and I know that they do this often they mm-hmm. were trying to control you via threats to your siblings because yeah. you're more concerned about your siblings well-being than even your own or yeah. at least some children will be. Correct. Um, so you talked about one event that occurred at the Mothers of Darkness Castle
0: mm-hmm.
1: and what you witnessed and encountered there. Uh, but during your, we are talking about all of these things that were happening at your grandmother's house in Germany um, uh, when you were not training elsewhere and, and, and they, you know, you, you, am I right in assessing that this was a five and a half year period?
2: Um, no, actually it was a, a two, about two and a half year period. Um, but also just the castle was in Germany. Um, we lived in, in the United States. No, my grandfather's brother owned a private airport, um, several of them. So he had jets and everything that uh, were at her disposal any time she desired.
1: Ah, 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 ah I get it. So, so you'd actually take this. I mean, th- that's not a short flight. <laughs> it's a no really long, I mean, were these like very fast jets? I'm just trying to process in my mind because, you know, like our listeners are going to think, okay, 8 a.m., your parents go to work, right? So your grandmother's taking you out by 8.30. Germany is a seven-hour flight, maybe, um, on a commercial jet. Uh, Now you're already at, you know, 3 in the afternoon, which is nighttime over there. But then you have to actually do the ritual and come back there's no way to be back by dinner. (laughs) At least not with normal technology. Not
2: with normal. Yeah. Not with normal time for sure. Um, You know, I, there was portal access that they would use. Um, So I do know that they, you know, she did access that to her advantage. I don't know how they get a whole jet through a portal um <laughs> I know some about quantum physics but but not that much but yeah there was supernatural things that happened within that uh for us to be there and back in time
1: so but but at the end of the day what you do know is that you'd leave in the morning you'd be, be back, back yeah. Same day, and you'd go to an airport, and some kind of technology or spiritual ritual made this possible. Yes. Okay. I did miss that. Because <laughs> you okay. mentioned the airport, but I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe it was just a short charter flight from your grandmother's house in Germany to this place. But Mm-mm. now it's like, no, you're, you're going... Over the Atlantic Ocean twice in the same day. That's that, that's but, 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 folks, listeners, understand. Um, we think that unless something works according to Newtonian physics, it can't be real, and that is absolutely false. Uh, there is so much that is possible when considering the mechanics of the spirit, how they are hacked through occult arts and high technologies that we don't necessarily know about, and those worlds do blur. And so, wow, okay. Why don't you talk a little bit more about your experiences at the Mothers of Darkness Castle? You have this first experience and encounter. I mean, how often were you back and forth from Germany? Was this like once a week?
2: No. Every day? Um, there were four times a year we were required. Um, but, you know, it varied just depending on... Um, what was going on and and when she was needed to. Um, The mothers don't always have to, you know, they appear there for certain things the four times a year, but otherwise there are backup places um, that do have spiritual gates. And so a lot of the rituals, I, I guess they call them dual rituals, where one thing happens in one area but it's also happening like the realms overlap so it happens in another area as well um so you know they're usually doing stuff from one of they've got two backup centers uh where the majority of their rituals take place um, but those places are connected to the real Mother of Darkness castle. Can you
1: give us a visual on what you mean by overlapping realms and multi location rituals?
2: Yes. So, um, what it looked like to me it's almost like you're standing in one physical place. So I would be, a lot of the rituals occurred at um, two different Catholic churches. Um, So I could be standing in the sanctuary of one of these Catholic churches. And I would see everything physically that was in that church, the people who were there. And at the exact same time, I could spiritually see and hear everything that was going on in the sanctuary or the area of the castle in Germany. So, um, you know, it was like there were, it was almost like you were in a living vision. I don't know how to describe it any other way. But what you did in the physical world in the one place, like you, you know, there were things that you could physically touch in the other place as well. So it's almost like the two realities combined. And, you know, like, so the people who were there in this other castle, I literally could interact with, I could talk with, I could touch, feel. Um, you know, if they handed me something, you know, I would really have it in my hands in this other, you know, other church. So, um, you know, same as if I handed them something, they really had it in their hands, it went across the realms. Um, I think that's probably the best way I can explain it. Wow! And um, in
1: order to open this up i I assume that in all of the locations, they were coordinating some kind of um, I, I mean, did it did it require some kind of massive sacrifice to open it up this way before you could begin interacting with the other locations? I assume you don't just walk in the room and it's already set that there's some prerequisites.
2: Um, There was no prerequisite in my experience. Um, I was someone who was known for being able to open the gates through Thanksgiving, Um, and so, you know, I would walk in the room and the gates would open. so you know for me it was like there was no there was no pre- prerequisite as to whether you know they did things on their end that i was unaware of before i arrived the chances are pretty high they did that there was some sort of sacrifice or other things but um you know usually the the sacrifices were done during the ritual um that's when the mothers would do them, um, and they were you know the cleanup came after, so you know, there was nothing in the room ahead of time. you know, I never saw any blood or any people ahead of time that were already dead or sacrificed when we arrived for these rituals. Um, everything was done as the ritual was done um but but there again, we had. You know, there were different types of rituals. You have the regular satanic rituals that they perform every year. But then there was the rituals that we were prepping for that were for the future. So with those, there were no sacrifices. It was a matter of learning, you know, exactly your place where you would stand, what's going to be said, what books are going to be opened. Um, you know, who's gonna be there, who's not gonna be there. Um, so a lot of you know, the ritualistic stuff I did experience was all preparatory stuff for future events, you know, that were supposed to take place once I succeeded my position. Um, wow. I can, I one example, this it's a little. Yeah. So one example of that would be, you know, I had, I had talked about my training partner and when he, you know, we took the unbreakable vow together. Well, because he won that ceremony um, part of his reward was also that he got to observe the ritual that night uh, that took place in the castle. And so, you know, after all the other uh war or protectors healing ceremonies were finished um everybody got dressed in their robes and you know we had been in white robes and we changed to the mothers changed to all black robes now and um there's a set of stairs for the main castle that wind up to this singular room and um so as we were walking up those stairs, we each had candles that were lit. And we there was enough room for us to walk in, you know, two by two up the stairs. And so we went up and got into this small room. And um, all of the Sisters of Light were there because of the Unbreakable Vow ceremony. So they automatically went and stood in all the four corners of the room, and and then you had the the mothers each went and stood each one in front of one of those quadrants, whichever one they represented, and then they drew a circle in the middle of the floor, and kind of off towards off of that circle, there was we'll just say there was a pathway that went straight. There was a window. Um, we'll just say on the right side of the room uh, that looked out towards, you know, behind the castle and farther off in the distance, you know, there was a a wood bridge at that time that you could hear clanking in the wind. And, um, and like there, it was kind of like, there was like a, would you call it a small canyon not anything big uh, but the bridge extended across this canyon and so you know my grandmother stood in that pathway with one of the ancient books and you know and then they put me right in the middle of the circle and I just remember like you know at first I kind of looked up and and I don't I don't quite remember Like, I I remember seeing stars. I don't remember if the top opened or if there was no roof on it, or maybe it was one of those things that the roof just seemed to disappear because of what I was seeing in the spiritual realm. But um, from what I remember, I just remember seeing the sky and the stars. And um, anyway, as she opened and started reading the book, You know, my job was to keep the the portal open that Mm -hmm. they were trying to open, and they were literally summoning the Queen of the Dead, which is another name for one of the you know big principality spirits, um, and summoning her into the realm, um, for further rituals and stuff like that, um, and so that took place that night, and um. That I don't even know how to begin to describe that. That spirit is one that at the time really terrified me. Um, you know, I found myself in a circle looking face to face with this spirit. Um, and I just remember, you know, just praying. And <laughs> only at that time, my prayers were limited because I was so little. And thank goodness, all the, you know, I was saved through the Baptist church. So, the Baptists are big on singing, you know, all these songs when you're a little kid. So I, I think I was singing the B-I-B-L-E song. <laughs> oh. I just kept singing, you know, the B-I-B-L-E. <laughs> yes, that's the book for me. <laughs> and uh, that's how I, I over get, like I stood against this spirit looking it face to face with only that, <laughs> that song is my weapon of warfare. <laughs> and, uh, You know, so, but um, they did, they summoned that same spirit uh, two years ago. Uh, Lori Kavik, or I'll just, let's just say one of the high priestesses for the East summoned that spirit at a grand witch's ball um, two Octobers ago. So. Wow.
1: And you, when you were seeing this, I mean, you were somewhere between four and a half and seven years old. Yes. My goodness. So you're telling us that they did a lot of work and prepping for future rituals. That's actually a big part of what's done in this world. Yeah. And I assume that this is because the rituals have to be perfect. Correct. So there would have to be practice.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And what happens when someone like you defects and they have a key role in a future ritual? How does the cult handle that?
2: well they continuously uh send threats and reminders so i frequently get letters from my grandmother that you know nobody will she won't openly admit to any of this um but like she would she would call and and tell me you know oh your grandfather and i are going to go pick out headstones at such and such a place, which is one of the main churches where they do rituals at. Well, as she's telling me this, I remember that at 10 years old, she took me out to the graveyard at that church and showed me their grave spots and their headstones that weren't written on. Um, But they already had their plots and everything picked out. So I know then that she's going there for other purposes um and or she would send me you know letters with uh pieces of apple pies on them you, you know that would say the first one said you know i i wish we could share a piece together and, and she underlined the word share and a piece and then um the next one the exact same card same piece of apple pie and, it, you know, it says, you know, if, if I were there, I would bake you a pie. So that actually is a threat. Um, everybody knows that that the apple pies are poisoned. Um, you, you just don't eat them. And especially in my family, you know, we would have huge reunions. And um, I had this one uncle, um, I'll just call him Uncle Wynn. Um, I absolutely love this man. He was so smart. And you know, the we were sitting at a picnic table at one of the family reunions and he's like, you know, watching all the food come out and and he's like, you know they poison the food, right? And I'm like, Yes, yes, I do. And he's like, But you know what they can't poison? I was like, What? And he's like, The cans of olives. <laughs> and so <laughs> Me and Uncle Wendell, every family reunion, you know, we would sit there and eat, like, all the olives. (laughs) And everybody would wonder, like, because they knew nobody in our family liked them. So they'd be like, where are all the olives going? And we would sneak them and we would, you know, stuff ourselves on olives so we didn't get any of the poisoned or drugged food. (laughs) Yeah. So, um (laughs) <laughs>
1: I want to ask you this question <laughs> you kind of I mean, your story is incredible, Jane. I'm praising Jesus that you made it through now, when it comes to food, I have read multiple accounts, and this has sources primarily in African witchcraft from my reading experience, but essentially they take human flesh and other things and They do evil workings upon it, and it changes into food. So, when you eat this magic food, it may taste good, but it is used to establish evil covenants and to open doors into people's lives. This allows them to control people or blast them with demonic power. Now, then we learned that when people are under witchcraft attacks, especially in their sleep, they will find themselves eating food and in this context it's the same thing that is cloaked human flesh and as people eat it it establishes covenants and opens doors for further entrapment with the demonic it can yield big time bondage
2: oh no absolutely um yes my grandmother did um did all sorts of stuff with food um there were times where um you know she she would kill pets or animals that had been outside um you know and that would end up in food and yet you never saw her actually cook it Um, there you know some of the later work in life that i've done in helping to prepare people walking through this and stuff um, who aren't aware of this occultic world, um, you know, and help them work with people who come out of it. Um, I had to try to find a way to nicely as best as I could break to them, you know, the reality of what you were saying, Um, you know, and, and so I'm trying to think how to put this on a daily basis, you know, there, there were a lot of children that would go missing. um, Sometimes adults or homeless people. Um, I never ever ate the meatloaf and a lot of times didn't eat anything that was not chicken. And so I just didn't um, eat it. And there were a few incidences. I, I did see preparation for things like that. Um, like at some of the, um, we'll just say some of the rituals. And, and so, you know, when I talked to my groups, I, I said, you know, I'm a chaplain. And so, you know, as a chaplain, we have You know, once a a patient dies, we've got three hours to allow the family to be in the room with the patient. Um, But in reality, we know the body starts decaying faster than that. So, you know, if we don't want the family to see any of those signs or symptoms of decay, we have to get the family out of the room before the two hour mark. You know, so we tell them they have as much time as they need. But in the back of our minds, we start this two-hour countdown. So I said, you know, think of these rituals. How, how long do they go for? And they said, well, they go all night. It's like, yeah, they do. And do they use any refrigeration? Mm, no, they don't. You know, and they're like, oh, well, that's gross. They're eating decaying flesh. And I was like, no, 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 you're missing the point here. (laughs) And so we went around and around. And finally, they got what I was saying was that they weren't eating decaying flesh, they were eating live individuals. So some of the things that I observed is that, you know, there would be, um, you know, children. For the high priests and priestesses that worked in the training center where I was trained, right. um, there would be things delivered, you know, kids delivered in the mail to them. And um, those children would end up as food. And, um, but then it, it gets worse because, you know, after they do their sacrifices and things like that, a lot of times they purposely will pick the Catholic churches because. They have incinerators there. And it, their purpose is not to dis, like, dispose of all evidence because, as we know, the bones don't incinerate. But the purpose is to remove all remaining flesh so that then they can take the bones and crush them. And those bones become all the miscellaneous weird ingredients that are sold in our food that we don't know what it is. No, so, we won't even go there today, but this is how no. mad this is. And, um,
1: <laughs> so you're telling me that part of this whole GMO completely synthetic food conspiracy ties all the way back to the top levels of the occult world. Yes. Human desecration. This, uh, this is a massive claim, Jane. Shocking and really scary. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. You but haven't... is this like... <laughs> m- oh, uh, an attempt to work mass magical power against whole societies just through yes. their food, My not goodness.
2: just through food. it's the food and the rituals and this the connection with the demonic spirits <sighs> the you know, the eating of the food connects the people to the spirits, which then you know, gives the the spirit the territory. And the claim on that individual to then have some sort of power or control over their mind. Um, And because people aren't thinking correctly or are unaware or ignorant of it, um, they don't, you know, they're not prepared to fight against it or to stand against it. Um, So, yeah, they're, you know, just this year they were going. around and using um they were doing mass initiation rituals so people would be in this audience hearing a speaker talk and the speaker would say you know hey you know there's a a gift we've left for you under your seat and everybody would look and they would pull out this piece of candy and um you know, they'd be like, oh, go ahead, you know, open it up, everybody eat it. And then everybody would engage in saying these, um, these tenets, or, you know, um, they would, inf- you know, some sort of poem or something like that, but something that they speak out. And so now they've all just gone through this mass initiation ritual together and they have no clue. And so far there has been, I think, at least eight of these rituals between the U.S. and internationally. And we're talking like, you know, two, three thousand or more people at a time being initiated.
1: Folks, I know you probably have a ton of questions. and I know I still have more, but well, that's how it goes we are just about out of time and so we'll just have to continue this down the road jane we obviously didn't get to talk about antichrist agenda and what your role was supposed to be in that so for now i am going to say thank you for sharing
2: well thank you for having me on the show you're welcome
1: Folks, until next time, God bless and God speak. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at brideministriesinternational.com to enjoy. The Bride Ministries Church The Bride Ministries Institute Free resources And to support us financially